0: episode of the restoration today podcast is brought to you by surety surety is the third party fund control company founded by those who understand the entire restoration industry especially the paying contractors experience just trying to get paid surety establishes payment rails from insurance carriers to restoration contractors protecting property owners and every party from risk using 3d geospatial scan technology If you want to reduce your debt, free up your admin staff, and improve the experience of your clients, book a demo with Surety today. Hello, restorers. Welcome to another episode of the Restoration Today podcast. We are recording from Vegas. I wish I could show you the view that way. We can see the high roller and the mountains and all the things. So we are recording from the experience in Vegas in September. And Dan and I want to talk about a bunch of industry trends. So I'm joined by Dan Casera, who is the founder of Core Group. And Core has made a huge splash in the industry. You have so many members. You haven't even, you've been at it for a few years now, but you've had explosive, explosive growth in those few years. So I'm going to toss it over to you right away and just have you introduce yourself and explain what Core is.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'm Dan Casera, founder of Core. Um, A lot of people, we get this question every day, what is Core? What is Core? Are you a TPA? Are you, what are you? Um, Core is interesting because Core is actually more, it's a lot of different things. There's no other model in the industry today that exists exactly the way we do. So we actually are a hybrid franchise system. We have three different types of contractors. We have what's called our branded members. So that would be core by Johnson Restoration, core by Acme. Uh, these are these are restorers who take on our brand. Uh, we have what's called a standard member or a core member. And then we have what's called a core elite member. Now, what makes them all different, if you're wondering like, what makes an elite member, it's their revenue, how long they've been in business, what they bring to the table, all of that. They get categorized that way. So that is our membership offering. It is technically a franchise. It's a hybrid franchise. It's the only system that allows a company to remain independent but still be a part of a bigger system of companies. Uh, we also have what's called Encore Affiliates. These are companies that want to join our claims program We do operate again a hybrid managed repair solution. That managed repair solution only does high net worth carriers, commercial carriers, and commercial end user customers. So we don't do the top ten, you know, mainstream carriers. So those people who are mad about the programs, you know, you know, Farmers and State Farm, and they're being squeezed, and those aren't our clients. It's not who we do business with. We only do business with high net worth and commercial, very niche. We don't want to be the biggest. We want to be the best. So that's what we do. Um, That group is made up of about 680 Encore affiliates nationwide, 680 companies, probably over a 1,000 locations nationwide. And those companies, and they're amazing, these are companies that are in markets where we don't have members or they back up the members that are there. So we have national relationships with seven of the top 10 high net worth carriers. We've got a few commercial carriers. We've got many commercial end user customers and when they bring us work, if a member is tapped out and says, I'm sorry, I can't take another opportunity, we call an Encore affiliate and they always save the day and they're amazing. Now, what people don't realize is why they think we're a TPA is because those Encore affiliates are made up of all the other brands. Yeah. So you can be a Paul Davis, a Surface Master, a Puro Clean, it doesn't Restoration One, Surf Pro, amazing companies. Like You can be any one of those companies, but you can be an Encore affiliate. Now- we recognized that we, when we built this program that we had to bring value to these contractors. So it wasn't just like wait on the bench. Most programs, as we all know, wait on the bench for your opportunity. When you get your time at bat, you kick and scream and you hold that that place to keep getting work and doing all that fake work and the scorecards and all that garbage, which we'll get to in a minute. I'm hoping. (laughs) Um, But what we said is how can we deliver value to these companies while they're waiting. So we built the largest and fastest growing buying program called perks There's over 125 vendor companies, amazing companies that are part of this. We have given back this year alone about a half a million dollars already in rebates back to our contractors. We guarantee best in market pricing. These vendors will jump through fiery hoops for these contractors because they're part of CorpWorks. It's a big deal. It's open to the whole industry. And, and anyone can buy on this program and get the benefits of you know, scale, you know, really yep. getting the ability to be a part of a bigger system. And then we also put on events, we put on an amazing collective conference, we put on mid year events, a sales and marketing summit an operations summit an owner summit, we do all these amazing events, because our goal is to elevate the property restoration industry. So that's what we do. That's what core is essentially.
0: Okay. Perfect response. Okay. But we also want to talk about you. I don't want, rest- I think restorers think, okay, you were DKI and now you're core, but you were more before that you've been in the restoration industry. This is not your first rodeo here. You understand what it's like to be on the contractor side. So share some of your personal journey and where you started.
1: Well, it started in August 8th, 1977. <laughs> I was the son of a Mary and Tony Caserta. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um yeah, and that's my mom, my dad, Mary, and Tony Sarah. Um, We're in Vegas, folks. We're having cocktails. Let's just be real. No, um, so uh, I got into restoration because my older brother, Marco, is a restorer, and he got me into restoration. And I was actually in advertising, and I didn't even know what he did for a living. Honestly, I had no idea that restorers did what he did. And he said to me, you know, Dan, you should talk to my company. And it was a San Francisco Bay Area company that said – do you know anyone who can do sales? And my brother said, I have this younger brother, he can do sales. And I was, you know, I was young. I was, you know, 24 at the time. And, and I said, Yeah, I'll try this. So I remember approaching the owner of the company and said, I'll try this for 90 days. And if it lasts, great. If it doesn't, let's part as friends and that's it. And and I was there for six years. And so I built a company from 2.5 million to about $35 million over the course of like five or six years we thought outside of the box. We were not on programs. We did really all this really innovative stuff. But the one thing that we actually did that was different and why we were so successful is we were a part of a, a larger group. Mm-hmm. So at the time, we were a part of Disaster Cleanup International. So our trucks said, four-star cleaning and restoration, a Disaster Cleanup International network member company. It's a big, long thing. Before you could even see what we did, if you passed us on the freeway, people would be like, what is all that? No <laughs> one, had yeah, right? So we, no yeah. one really knew what that was. But- I was really involved in trying to get other disaster cleanup international companies to rally together to really just help grow each other. That's really what it's all about. Like a lot of these restorers, you guys, are competition. But like if you could really rally together and be a part of a bigger system, you would understand that like – a rising tide raises all boats. Like we need to be together in this. So I helped these companies grow. I helped many other companies grow. And then I approached the CEO of DKI and said, I want to come work for you. And so I started as our director of marketing. I rebranded the company to DKI. I did the wind, fire, water. My team did the whole, the the graphic with the firemen and all that stuff that you guys all know on those trucks. Um, We did all of that. And so we helped grow DKI at a time where DKI needed like a fire. And so I did that for about four and a half years. And after about four and a half years, I was really feeling like technology was emerging in this industry. Like, like a good friend of mine, Hugh Garrett Grace, was starting Dash, and it was like this is then something that's coming. And we had, um, you know, JPP at the time, and that was really it. And technology was kind of being talked about a little bit. And so, I actually took my leave and I went to go work with NextGear for a year. And and during that time. I realized how important technology and data and all that was important for us to do better as restores. So, did that for a year, and then I was brought back um, after a year to DKI as their CEO. Um, during that time, it was kind of an interesting wild ride. Moved my whole family across the country and took on DKI and had a baby at the time who's now eleven, and it was it was pretty remarkable and really helped shape that company and and then put it through a couple sales. Um and then after that I ended up being essentially sold with the transaction to Sedgwick. So I was I was the a very short period of time I was the CEO of Sedgwick Repair or Veraclaim Repair Solutions. Um and and really that was when my aha moment went off. So I went over to the TPA side. I went over to the TPA side and uh, and what I realized was that TPAs there was a disconnect between the carrier the contractor and the tpa no one was really talking and the tpas were offering a service and i was realizing what this was doing to contractors and i said i've built my whole career trying to help contractors grow their businesses and now i'm on the other side telling them what to do when to do it when to breathe when to this when to that all of that and i said this just doesn't work for me and so i took my leave again um, a lot of contractors were mad at me because I just decided to take my leave. And I joined another system that was uh, actually operated by Cunningham Lindsay. It was called Oriel. So I launched the Oriel managed repair system. It was supposed to be contractor friendly. And we really tried to focus on focus on service and quality and all that kind of stuff uh, until Cedric bought Cunningham Lindsay about two years later. So it was suddenly I was back to working for Cedric. And it was at a conference, uh, an RAA conference, the Strictly TPAs conference. Mm-hmm. And I had this light bulb moment publicly on stage where I looked at the whole room of people and there was probably about 300 people in the room. And I remember looking at all of them and saying, these systems are broken and they're not built for you. Yep. They're actually built to serve a client and you guys play a role in that. And that role is important, but don't be mad when you've chosen to play the game. It's the equivalent of saying, you know, I want to play this game and the game you fail at the game or you or the game punishes you, but you chose to play the game. And I said, if you don't like it, jump off the game. And so I remember like flying back home and flipping up my laptop and going, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'm done with this industry. I was ready to like call it quits. I was ready to like, just go, you know, maybe it's time to do something else. And I had this interesting moment um, where I remember going, you know what? What do I have to lose? And so basically I got home that night. My wife had just had our our now five year old son and she was tired and exhausted and I was gone for three days and she was so mad. And um, I looked at her and I said, I'm, I'm starting another system. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm starting another company. Like, I'm doing this. And she goes, I go, oh, and by the way, I'm draining our savings. Like, I'm starting this. And she's like, okay, good luck with that. And she was, and that was actually supportive because she's amazing, but she's always been supportive. But she was like, she didn't stop me. She didn't argue. Recently, she told me she was tired. She's like, I was exhausted. I didn't, oh God, I didn't, I have, like I didn't have the time to argue with you. But she said, um, she goes, yeah, do it. So I remember the next morning I got up and I was really inspired and I grabbed my laptop and I went to a Pete's Coffee in Walnut Creek, California. I flipped on my laptop and I was like, so what is this going to be and what am I going to call it? And I started to think about, you know, I started actually the core comes from I started thinking about like a core of like core army of engineers, like core, like we're coming in force. That's what I was thinking. And then I was like, what's the definition of core? So I researched the definition of core and because core is really inspired by the name. And it was like the core, your core is your center most or most important point of anything is its core. And I was like, we call it core. And I immediately started looking, core is very overused in a lot of other industries. We got, you know, you've got fitness industry and all these different things, but I was like, I need to figure this out. So, um, so that's where core started. And it was literally myself, um, you know, Andy Neiman who's our vice president of operations. Um, he was my partner in another business. I looked at him and said, we're starting something new. And he's like, let's go. And he was like all on board. And, um, we started building this system and we built it just him and I to like our first employee to now employees all over the world. And it's really, I cry a lot as my team will tell you, but, but there's these moments where I go, how did this happen? Like, and it's really because we have one thing we haven't compromised is we have not compromised who we are. Yeah. We have not compromised the quality of the contractors we go after. We have not compromised the quality of the clients. We have not compromised the relationships we build. We haven't compromised the shows we attend. All, we have not compromised who we are. Everything we do, people will joke and go, oh, that's so on brand for core. No, it's on brand because we don't compromise who we are because we want the world to know that we're trying to elevate the industry. And that's, mm-hmm. that's it. Like If I can sleep at night, it's not about the money. I'm fine. Like yeah. If I can sleep at night, then that's what matters to me. So that's I, a long,
0: drawn out. I <laughs> absolutely remember that moment at the TPA summit. Now that you bring like I was there and I remember that. I remember that on stage and the conversations that were happening in the question. Yeah. The room
1: I had 300 business cards in my hand, people going, if you start something, I'll do this with you. And I was like, start what? I haven't even thought this through yet. Like, I wasn't even thinking I was going to start something, but it, it it was really, it was the flame that was like, you're either going to do this or not. And it was just, yeah, pretty remarkable.
0: Okay. So let's talk about TPAs and what they look like in the industry. If they're not built for restorers, are the restorers changing? Do we continue to push the TPAs to change? Do we push more toward independent work so we're not relying on TPAs? I know that there are contractors that have way more than 10 to 15% of their revenue banking on getting getting work from TPAs, and that's a dangerous place to be in once you get a high percentage of your TP- of your work through TPAs. So what does that look like? What does the industry do at this point? If TPAs aren't built for us, are restorers pushing back? Do the TPAs need to change? Do we need to change? What do we do?
1: Great question. So um, unfortunately- If you look at a restorer who's getting into this industry, trying to get their feet wet and trying to build up momentum and revenue, because you've got to start somewhere, right? Like we all put our money into starting these companies. Restorers are no different, right? They have to get their first job. And you cannot just go out and start soliciting your first day and be like, Hey, I'm Acme Restoration. You join programs. You do it to get to, to hire your first guy, to buy your first truck, all those different things that people do. Totally respect that. But the system is broken a thousand percent. I was driving just two days ago. I actually called our VP of marketing, Diane Gohe, and I called her and I said, you're not going to believe the conversation I just had with one of our members. A member in California who will go unnamed because I don't want to damage his standing with the TPA, called me and said, I was getting about 40% of my work in a smaller company, not a big company, smaller company. I was getting about 40% of my work from this TPA. and, um, And the problem was, is that this TPA charges me 40% referral fee. There is a TPA that charges. Yeah. And every restorer who's watching this knows exactly who I'm talking about. It's the one TPA that, whose name will, I will not say, um, I might say something that rhymes with it in a minute. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, every, every restorer knows this TPA, um, who charges 40% on mitigation, which is absurd. Like absurd. And I was like, well, why are you paying that? And he goes, he goes, Dan, like we did what we needed to do to start the company because it's a smaller company. And I said, okay, so what's going on? He said, I was getting all these roadblocks and I could never reach them in their call center. I could never reach their management. Like these projects would stop and these poor homeowners were like, what's going on? And, and he'd say, I need to get approval from this third party company who's supposed to be helping the situation And he would say to me, he said, and that's how they're supposed to get their 40%, is they're supposed to be the one to move things along. And he was getting nowhere. So, what he did is he called the adjusters and said, What's going on? Like, this project needs to get done. This homeowner needs to get back in their home. And they kicked him off the program for communicating with the adjuster, which, in itself, by the way, is absolutely absurd. That same TPA also would call him and say, I need you to shave 20% off the bill. Or if you agree to this much off the bill, which, by the way, is illegal if i'm not mistaken in a lot of ways like it's just absurd and so and i was like so what's going on he goes i'm off the program and actually feel a lot better he goes i'm waiting for them to call me back and tell me that i'm back on and i'm gonna tell them to go screw themselves because i don't need this and i said you're absolutely right you don't and it goes a step further they called him and said we don't need you you need us and so you just made the worst mistake. Our our program rules say you're not supposed to contact the adjuster and yada 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 and all this stuff. And so when people will look at us at core and say you're a TPA, actually quite the contrary. We never negotiate pricing. We have never once in our four years ever called a contractor and said, if you shave 20% off, you know, we'll pay you. Like they're holding these people's money and cash is king. Like these people have employees to pay. Yep. Like they, they support people's livelihoods. And the fact that these companies don't respect that is in itself is insulting. Number one, number two, the fact that they are going to the extent of holding these people money hostage and saying, if you just shave some money off, I'll pay you faster. When they had the money already, the carriers already paid them. I think there's legalities around that too. So I could be wrong. Someone should research this by the way. <laughs> um, uh, And we are actually, because I think that there's, there's so many, issues with that in itself. And then on top of that, these contractors feel like they're beholden to these systems, which by the way, they've signed up for, and I get it. And I totally respect that. But when they call us and say, oh, you're nothing but a TPA. Well, no, we've never negotiated pricing. We don't ask you to take money off your bill. All we require is that you take care of the insured, you do a good job. And when the job is done, they go, I would hire this company again. Mm -hmm. That's all we're asking for we pay faster than any other system. Our goal is two weeks. No system pays people that fast. That's our goal. Now, sometimes it's a little longer. If we haven't been paid, it means that you haven't answered some questions. There may be some backup, you know, whatever. We do that. But beyond that, now, what's funny is, is a lot of contractors have called us and said, why well, joined your program? And there are rules. And I said, I never said there wasn't rules. Like, there's rules. There's rules. Like, you got to contact the insured within a half an hour. Like, let them know you're coming. You got to show up within two hours. Not a lot to ask. These are basic standards, those basic standards are still the rules that we abide by, but we don't get in the middle and try to like meddle with your funds, with your cash or any of that. Um, we're incredibly fair. Um, I've had contractors who have joined our program and destroyed houses, like ruined houses. And Core has to foot the bill, by the way. It's not like, so there's some value to what we do. But the reason carriers are drawn to us is because we tell them, I remember the very first presentation were a carrier um, about our Encore system, which was core private client, because we said, we're going to go after high net worth. And I walked into a carrier, and I remember the table, and there was like the head of claims, the AVB of claims, all these different people. And there was the guy in the corner who you know was like the bean counter, who's like, why are we doing this? What's it going to cost us, right? And I looked at them all and I said, do you guys know what it costs you to get an insured? Like, what's the cost? What's the 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 cost of acquisition of a single insured? And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we have that dialed. Yeah, we've got, you know, so-and-so, you've got that dialed in, right? And he was like, got it, right? And I said, so you guys insure multimillionaires and billionaires, but yet you do business with a company that sends contractors in and if they're not out of the house by a certain time, like literally they get pinged. If they don't upload stuff to your, their file, which by the way, you never even look at, they get, they get their score knocked, all these little sort of fake rule things. And trust me, if you don't think that translates to the customer experience, like that in itself should say something. If I am, let's pull somebody out of, out of the hat here. Um, I don't know. I'm Justin Bieber and I'm insured <laughs> by some major high net worth carrier. And someone comes into my house and is like, I got to be out dude in about an hour, because if I don't, like, I won't get the next job. Like, do you think that that insureds experience is going to like, it's, it's yeah. right. So there's, there's so many layers to this whole TPA issue. Now, the thing is you can't attack the TPA issue with like a blanket. Like, let's just yep. like, let's just attack them all. Well, Cause some of them are not bad. They just, but like the, the system's broken. They don't even know that it's broken and they're yeah. just built a business over that. Yep. Right. Um, but I will tell you core is not a TPA. Encore is not a TPA. We, I still proudly say we're the un-TPA. Like this is who we are. And, Um, I, I, I really want contractors to realize you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get 40 losses a week from us. Like you will for some of these bigger companies. You're not going to, you may get one a month, you may get a couple a year, but they're really good jobs and they pay fast and they're really good. And while you're waiting, attend our amazing events, go to our conference, like buy from our buying program. Like it's not costing anything to wait, like to wait. And there's a lot of like contractors are angry and they're rightfully so angry, but they have to understand that like, like it's broken. We have to fix it. And it's not gonna be something that's gonna happen overnight. It may happen when some of these guys are out of the industry, like they've retired and done, and then it will be fixed. But I will tell you there's gonna be there's gonna be fewer TPAs, I think, in the future. And that we are just gonna to continue to pledge forward to say, you know, we're just gonna provide better service, better quality, and that's what we're gonna focus on. Sorry. Here we are
0: as i said it was a good answer it was another good answer so i want to continue on the trends track so tpa versus independent is a big trend i want to talk about MA. i feel like you and core I feel like core was built around supporting independent contractors and helping them maintain and grow their businesses in a world where M&A mergers and acquisitions are huge right now there are a lot of companies that've sold and i think for the mo- i mean i can't imagine many more companies I- I know that there's going to be more the rest of this year, but everyone that's big, that's still worth buying pretty much has been approached, right? But you have helped through core, helped some of the bigger companies and smaller companies maintain their independence within their market. So talk a little bit about that and your passion with M&A and also kind of, I'm curious where you see M&A going in our marketplace in the next, maybe like 18 months. Sure.
1: Anyone who attended the RIA conference this year in Reno, it was like a meat market. It was... It was embarrassing to-
0: watch that way.
1: Oh my gosh. Like this year, especially, it was embarrassing to watch. It really was. Like the amount of like aggressive poaching these companies were doing. And I think that the one thing that like contractors don't realize is that being a contractor, a, a insurance repair, property restoration contractor is not an easy job. These are not easy companies to run. And these companies, and I know that this is resonating with someone. Yep. These companies go, I just- want to relax. I've, I've worked my ass off. I just want to relax. I just want to like, right. And so acquisition sounds like a good idea. It does. Right. And so the problem though, is that what you're being sold in terms of the, in the acquisition world is not exactly what you're getting. Like what you really should do is look at the data. And you and I've talked about this before, like the amount of data between when you're approached and you're in LOI, you know with a, a potential buyer, whether it be a conglomerate group who's buying you or a it's individual private equity group, whatever, to the ones that actually get to the finish line, not very many do. <laughs> and the ones that do who are all banking on the next sale, like not many to get there either, uh-huh. I've had companies who are like, this is just was the right thing for my family what they don't realize is they lose a large percentage of their employees and management staff. The people that actually make the company special are gone. Therefore, those locations that get absorbed into these bigger systems um, are less profitable. And, And really what you're doing is you're playing chess, right? Private equity groups are funding companies who then go out and buy other companies, and they're absorbing your revenue. And- but there's nothing there's no stickiness there's nothing there there's no goodwill all that's being sold and many times the owner goes i'm done and they walk away and they usually lose out on like that second earn out or whatever that looks like uh, it's all different everyone's in a different scenario but yep. but here's the thing independence are really like where my heart is like I love the franchise guys. Franchise groups are fantastic. I'm not saying that I don't love them, but they have like franchise wars bring value to their franchisees. Like they're supposed to bring all that value. So like, but where I think my company helps is they help independents not be alone. And the thing is though, if you're thinking about selling, like it's gotta, you gotta get to a point where like you just go, okay, enough's enough. But just know that it all seems greener on the other side, but it doesn't, it isn't usually that way. And so- we are entertaining we're looking at different ways that we can help protect the independent we're looking at ways to keep the independent protected so that maybe something in the future like we do something together potentially like i've got members all the time who will reach out to us and say like like why don't we do something with core and that's not out of the realm of possibilities we're looking at that too um we're a company that really wants to preserve like what this industry is and i feel like what we're going to be left with is a lot of companies who, and, and the worst part about it, and this is me being overly frank, is that you get a company that sells to, a, again, whether it's another group or a private equity group or whatever it looks like, and they're not allowed to, by contract, say anything negative about the sale. Like I've sold my company to private equity groups. I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to disparage the deal. You're not allowed to say anything negative. You're not even allowed to have a face because if someone even thinks that you have that, right? (laughs) You can't do any of that. So when you approach some of these people that have been acquired, right? And you're like, how is it? And they're like, it's great. (laughs) It's great. Everything is, right? And you're like, you're not allowed to say anything negative. So obviously, and then a lot of times those folks are incentivized to help to get other restorers to sell. Mm -hmm. So there's a, I mean, come on, guys. Let's call it what it is. Like, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, um, it's not like they're being fully honest with you. Like they get incentivized to get more of you to come on board. So there's a little bit of that too. Um, I know I'm going to make a lot of enemies by saying some of this stuff, but the point is like, it's not the solution for everybody. It's not, it's not the solution for everybody. And if you really, if you got in this industry to truly help people, to help restore lives, then stick it out, man. Like stick it out, you know, lady or man. There was no... (laughs) right? There's some amazing female restorers in this industry that awesome. I think that we need to, we need yes. to raise up in so many ways. And I I feel like, like just stick it out because at the end of the day, that's not the solution. And as money gets more expensive, the less and less we're going to hear from these guys. But here's the thing though, we operate in a very profitable industry. No one denies that. And the fact that like a PE firm would look at this industry and go, oh my gosh, do you know what the margins are of these companies? Like, why wouldn't you invest in this? Like, you'd be crazy not to, yeah. right? If I had a billion dollars, can you imagine, I, 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 of course. But here's the thing, though, I wouldn't want to destroy those independents. They're so valuable to this industry. The homeowners need them. Yeah. The business owners need them. Like, we need great companies, um, and this includes, by the way, franchise franchises as well. Like, they're being acquired. Even like, we need great restores. Period. Yes. So.
0: Okay, so you talked about restores not wanting to be alone, wanting to be part of something, wanting to have a group belonging somewhere. I know, I guess that's a double-edged sword because contractors also feel like, oh my gosh, they're my competition, even though it's New York to California, or you're not really competitors if you're New York to California, but it can be hard to open up and share with other people in your space, I suppose. But there are associations and networks and groups to be part of, whether it's on Facebook or in real life or whatever. How can contractors pick those apart and find the valuable places to be to make the right connections with fellow restorers?
1: Great question. Okay. So what I feel like i I, have, I found through Covid was finding par like finding parallels like in the world, right? So what happened during covid? i'm I'm going to go down a rabbit hole for a minute just to bring it back, I promise. Right. Yeah. so like so during Covid, if you were online, you were on Facebook anywhere, what happened in this country? We were divided politically, yes. politically over a pandemic. Like that is bullshit in itself. Sorry, this supposed to be a kid-friendly podcast. Uh, <laughs> hear what i if you were
0: earlier, it's really fine. Okay, okay, good, good. Yeah, you know, that's
1: bullshit. <laughs> anyway, no, we were divided politically. We really were over a pandemic. And so when I look at like my team, including me, believe it or not, sits on some of these Facebook groups. Mm-hmm the groups right Mm -hmm. and we watch and we just watch we don't say anything Uh we just watch and the amount of anger and the polarization of these some of these folks you've got restorers turning on restorers online why because you're hiding behind a keyboard dude if you were standing in front of this person you would never disrespect them the way you did honestly some of these groups are are attempting to do well like Mm -hmm. they're trying really hard and that their heart is in the right place but what they're, where they're failing is that they're not managing those personalities to say that, hey, this is not productive. This is not good for our industry. And if you guys are going to bash each other behind the, yes. the, the guise of hiding behind your keyboard on Facebook, then don't be here. They should be kicking people out of their group. There were so many instances of some of these groups that where I would watch my team be abused by their wanting to help but I would send it to the the group admin and say, you should be kicking people out of your group for this. And they were like, well, you guys joined like, you know, and, and so there's so many organizations in this industry that are trying to rally contractors together. There's new networks, there's all this kind of stuff, but what they fail to realize is they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're just trying to right. write course, not trying to collect membership dues. We have an amazing runway. We're healthy. We're profitable. We are financially sound. We're good. Like, I always say we don't sell memberships, we award memberships because like, we're not going to pressure you into joining core. Like Mm -hmm. if you're not a good fit, we're going to tell you before you waste any of your time or money or any of that. And so like, I want the right restorers. And one of the things that we look for, believe it or not, we don't tell people this publicly is to be, depending on what tier you fall into as a core member, like that's a revenue number. Like I am doing 20 million. I'm an elite member. I've been doing that consecutively for three years. I'm an elite member. So that is your first qualifier. But the one quality that core members have over any other company, right? And why they join core is they have to support and foster collective growth. They have to believe in collective growth. They can't be in it for themselves. I've had hundred million dollar companies come to our Austin office and meet with us and be like, well, we're this, and we're amazing. And we cover this region and we're so great. And we're gonna have 29 new offices and by 2024, congratulations. But they don't collectively foster that growth mindset. And they don't aren't aren't in it for the greater good of the industry. They're in it for themselves. And we've literally told people, "I'm sorry, you don't belong here." And the hissy fits that these people have had with us, and we're like, "Sorry, like we just you don't belong here. It's just not what we're building here." And I've told my team, "If you don't sell a membership this year, that's fine. Don't sell a membership. It's totally fine. We are going to have many more members this year." But like the but the point is, is like we want to get the right people at the table. And as someone, not to put you on the spot, it's your podcast who attended the Collective Conference the, the quality of people there, the quality of contractor, they all love and support and foster each other. And it's like, I mean, the stuff that we do are that we do a sales and marketing summit where sales and marketing people will say like, this is a strategy that worked. Mm -hmm. And let me show you how I paid for it, how I did it. This is where I lost my, 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 some money. This is what failed. And they're totally transparent. We have owners events where owners will say, I need to hire a new BDM. And I'm thinking about paying them X, and this is my commission plan. Let me show you. And other owners are like, no, 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 there's an easier way to do this. And they literally are sharing that level of transparency. There's a lot of great groups out there that are doing some great mastermind groups and things like that, but they're not getting down to like that level of transparency. And so I think that's valuable.
0: Okay, so that was a good segue because you talked about the collective, which was a truly amazing event. And we are recording this at the experience and you over the years have been to a number of shows, probably both as a vendor and an attendee and figuring out what event to go to as a contractor. Let's talk about the contractor angle. What do you recommend contractors look for what do you know brings value for the contractor when it comes to events? There are so many to choose from. I know that as a vendor in my first year of owning a business, I've been kind of doing the circuit and figuring out what brings me yeah. value. But I think for the most part in this podcast, we've talked to the contractor. So what brings value to the contractor when it comes to events?
1: Well, as a vendor, that like how you choose events, right? It's really like, where am I going to have those quality conversations, right? Who's going to be there? Um, as a contractor... I think content is important, yep. which everyone can tout the great sessions and breakouts and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, I find personally, and, and my our marketing team very strategically looks at events, determine like, in other words, where are we going to fly our flag? Mm-hmm. And that is important to us. Like, I'm not going to go to an event. We are not going to go to an event where we're going to fly our flag and spend that time and money and energy yep. and bring a team in, all that stuff for an event that doesn't align with us and what we're, you know, the, the standards that we hold. But as a contractor, what I find is events that use sort of the same speakers over and over. It's the same content that's been at PLRB and this and all these different, it's the same thing over and over, right? Like we've all heard it. It's what we've all heard it. Yep. So like, look at an event that is innovative. Um, Look at an event that's bringing you great content, look at an event, more importantly, find out who's attending that event. That I think is the biggest key. Like, the value as a contractor is not just sitting in a classroom and going, I right, checked that box, I got my CE credits. It's not about that. It's not even about, it's about the whole experience. Yep. I hate to say it. How cool are their parties? are the best. Like, <laughs> like, how cool are their parties? Like, how, you know, what is that experience? Am I going to leave there as a better business person? Right. But more importantly, who else is there? Like, am I going to be able to have conversations with like amazing companies? Like that, I think as a restorer is pretty amazing. So if you're going to, if you're, for example, if you're a random $25 million company and you're attending a conference where everyone there is a startup, you're not getting any value from that. Whereas if you're attending a conference where you've got other companies who are doing a hundred million, 200 million, 300 million, and you're like, I want to aspire to be that. I want to learn from that. That's where you need to be like. You are who you surround yourself with, yes. period. Like, and here's the other thing too. Like, it this is going to be a little bit of a another rabbit hole. Um, I have clearly built contractor systems in my career. That's what I've done in this industry. I'm supposed to be in advertising. Like, I'm not even supposed to be doing this, right? But I've built contractor systems, and I remember there were times in my career where I'd go, like, all of my members, all of my contractors, they're great, except for those guys. Like, there was always like those guys. I can tell you right now, like I have this dream. I've told my team that, you know, I want our corporate headquarters to have a, a wall that has everyone's logos. Like I, I don't want to, I want to look at everyone's logos. I be, I'm proud to have these logos on my wall, permanently on my wall. And so it's who you surround yourself with our members are badass like they are amazing amazing owners amazing companies you've had a few of them on your podcast, like mike bevilacqua from mammoth amazing guy amazing guy like like the great companies and they all support and foster collective growth they're not in it for themselves they're in it for each other and they get that and the thing is like they understand that while yes they have their own individual goals they have to hit it's all about being a part of that i'm gonna go back move away from core back to like why would a contractor attend a conference it's really about, again, who you surround yourself with. Like, don't just attend stuff to attend. Like, if you're bored and you just want to travel and you want to get to Vegas for a conference, fine. Okay, do that. But call it what it is. Yeah. But, like, you got to go to events that where you're surrounding yourself with high-quality people that are going to elevate you. Because if you're not going to do that, then there's no reason to even be there, period. So that's what I think. So.
0: I'm always amazed by the number of people that attend events, whether they're on the contractor or the vendor side and just go and then don't even show up for the event. Definitely. And that is so common, especially when you get somewhere like Vegas or whatever, somewhere fun they show up and then they just aren't there. And the relationships from the vendor side or the contractor side are everything. Yeah. All right. Okay. Wrapping it up. Any final, final thoughts, things we haven't talked about. We've talked about a lot of wonderful things, got a lot of truth out of Dan Casera. So any final truths here?
1: final truths. Wow. Be better guys. Period. Be better. Like our industry needs to elevate, be better. Like if you want to be angry about where the industry is going, you want to be angry about TPAs. You want to be angry about this stuff. Fine. But just be better. Like honestly show up and be better. You're going to get up like life happens so quickly. It's so quick. And like, you're going to get out of it. Like what you put into it. And that like whether you're a part of core or any other system that you're a part of, like get the most out of it by just showing up and being better. That's all I have to say. Is like honestly, like do the homework, do do your part, show up, don't passively invest in like being a part of a, a group like core and then not show up. Like we don't tolerate that. When members don't participate, we're like, sorry, you don't belong here. Sorry, sorry that we we allowed you to join. Like it's just, but that doesn't happen because yeah. we encourage that. But, like, just show up and be better. That's all. Like, be better. That's it.
0: Well, Dan, thank you. This has been a pleasure. I always love chatting with you. I think you know that. So thank you. Thank you for the partnership that we have, that CNR has with more. We appreciate Uh, that. Same as well. Thank you.
1: For more restoration today, visit our website,
0: cnrmagazine.com, or find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts.